Today on the show, we have Elizabeth Smith. Now, if you do not know who she is, I'm excited to introduce you. We were recently in Nashville together and we sat down and we had a lovely conversation, which is rich and dynamic. She has been passionately training hundreds of leaders in the art of educating children. She has skillfully combined her experience as a mother, her training in psychology and theology, along with years of working with families to give what I would call today just a very rich and fun conversation. She's also the field chair of education and counseling at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and she's also the program head and associate professor of children and family ministry. Uh, She is such a lovely human. You will love her immediately, and we had such a fun conversation. On another quick note, we also want to let you know that as an organization, Intentional, we have for the first time ever launched a merch store. So if you are curious about some of the stuff that we are putting out in the world in our store, all you have to do is go to intentionalparents.org slash store. You can check out some of the sweatshirts, some of the hats, some of the tote bags that we have there. And if you are curious as well, you can just also click the link in the show notes. But I want you to take notes. There's many things to take notes on today. Um, Elizabeth has also written a book called God Never Changes, But Family Always Does. That will also be in the show notes. But enjoy our conversation today and my conversation specifically with Elizabeth Smith. Welcome to the Intentional Parents Podcast. Intentional exists to help parents in their God-given task to raise passionate Jesus followers. We exist to bring hope, help, and healing to families. Each week, we will talk about anything from parenting, marriage, lifestyle, and what it looks like to follow Jesus in our time. Intentional is made up of Phil and Diane Comer and Brooke and Elizabeth Moser. I am Brooke, and the funny thing is, we are all family. Elizabeth is Phil and Diane's daughter, so we're a family figuring this thing out together. We hope this podcast feels like you're sitting with us in our home talking about how to do this thing called life together. Elizabeth and I are your hosts. Let's get into this week's podcast. All right. Welcome, Elizabeth, to the podcast. Thank you, Brett. And this is not Elizabeth, my wife. This is Elizabeth Smith. (laughs) This is a good thing. Elizabeth and I sometimes do episodes, so I'm making that clarification really quick. If someone's like, wait, 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 she sounds a little different and she sounds um, you know, like she has a different experience than the Elizabeth I normally hear. So welcome. Honored to have you. We're Thank sitting you. in a, a room in Nashville together, which is really fun. Love Nashville. Love, Love Nashville. It. And why don't you give us a heads up of what you and I are doing here? So we're at the Child Discipleship Forum in Nashville and talking about many, uh, there's just many different speakers and we're hitting the areas of parent discipleship and Hmm. children's spiritual formation. It's sponsored by Awana. And uh, as we get to talk about that next generation and how we are informing and speaking into their lives, whether it's the church or the parents, we get to come together. I think obviously more heads are better than one. I know I learned so much from everybody. So we had a chance to meet and connect in a hallway and it just went from there extremely quickly, which I'm so glad. Yes. And I am so glad because I think everything that you do, which we're going to talk about in a minute, uh, really just aligns with what I know we're passionate about, what we are excited to help the world mm-hmm. uh, experience, specifically spiritual formation in the family. And uh, so with that, give us a heads up of what you do right now, because I'd love to hear from your perspective and then we'll, we'll talk about family, but let's talk about what you do, kind of like professional end and how you got into that. I'd love to kind of hear some of that and then we'll talk about family. Yeah. So a long, long time ago in a country far, far away, <laughs> Indiana, it's where I grew up, I got an undergraduate degree. I actually started pre-med and then I realized I hated the idea of blood. So I quickly <laughs> moved into psychology because I liked the idea of brains, but just not the squishy part. And so I got my undergraduate degree in psych and then I went, I became I had a good foundation of faith as far as what scripture and the gospel was growing up, okay. but I made that personal decision to make it my own in college at Indiana University, 
not known as a bastion of Christian formation, but it is actually in the darkness that God shined his light. And I'm so mm. grateful. So when I graduated, I went to graduate school at TEDS, which is in Deerfield, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And I got my master's in clinical mental health is what they call it today. It used to be called counseling psych, but it's mostly clinical mental health. And I did my emphasis in systematic theology. Wow. And then from there, um, I, by the way, I got my MA and I got my MRS. So that's where I met my husband. Oh, okay. That's the big seminary joke. Yeah. Are you here for your MA or your MRS? <laughs> I got both and I'm really happy. So get off my case. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we moved to Wisconsin. And after that, all of my heart in working both in the church and within the realm of counseling, I'm a licensed therapist, was for kids and adolescents and their families mm -hmm. and coming alongside of them in different parts of their journey. And I've done that now for... Oh, goodness. Over 35 years. That's 35. how old. I know. I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but all <laughs> I know is those numbers do not equate to the person sitting in front of me. That's a long time. That's it a long time. It is a long time. Yeah. I'm always happy when somebody's surprised. I'm like, oh, that's good. Right? <laughs> Versus like, oh, yeah, I could tell. So I'm really glad. But I'm just so grateful because you you can learn in a book and then you learn through life. Yes. And I'm grateful that God led me to my husband and that together we've been in ministry and he's just so supportive. He's just wonderful. We We've had three children, so I've been through that parenting journey. Yes. Um, really great times and really dark times. It's hard. It is just hard. And then they, but by God's grace, by his grace, they are believers in Christ. They've married amazing people who are also believers in Christ. Okay. And two of them have gifted me with grandchildren. Oh my gosh. So I'm a grandmother in formation, which I love. So we, I, I just have a handful of questions. Then. Yeah. So uh, tell me about your kids. What are their names? And uh, boys, girls, where are they at? Sure. So Caleb is my oldest. Okay. And he is, um, he's 29. I actually have to think. Isn't that horrible? I know. He's going to hear this well, and go, thinking Mom. is good. Thinking is good. Okay. You're good. But I can't believe he's, he's 29, married to Katie. Okay. He is uh, the vice principal, but soon to be principal of a wonderful Christian school in Lancaster, California. It's about, oh. uh, it's in the high desert area about an yeah. hour and 15 out of LA. Yes. His wife, uh, amazing. She got her undergraduate at Moody and then yes. graduate degree um, from Trinity and New Testament. So she is a, an editor for Bellingham Press and edits theology books. So she's wow. our Greek expert in the family and she's amazing. And How great to have a Greek expert in oh, the family. And my son, he has his own podcast, which I watch also faithfully. He's great. Um, and just the, they take the They've really maximized the gifts that God has given them in their in their intellect and curiosity. Yeah. And now they've also got a little boy who's three months old, August. Wow. And I get to see him next week and I'm so excited. But okay. it's fun to see, um, I guess you could say as a clinician. Oh, by the way, I'm also, I should have said this also, I'm yes. a professor at Moody Bible Institute. That's, that was my next question. Yeah, yeah, I'm the program head of children and family ministry and the field chair for education and counseling. So I teach on campus, online, and actually internationally. But I, you can learn a lot of things. But when it comes down to really applying it, I'm grateful for the many people that spoke into my life personally and then through my education. And what Brian and I were, we attempted to pass on to our children, but to see them totally outrun us, mm. which I wanted them to do. I want them to do much more than whatever God has allowed me to become or to do. And that's exactly what they've done. And then to see them pour that into the next generation. And I really think keeping that in mind in parenting, you've got to realize the bigger picture. It's not mm. just the moment, which we can all get entrapped in, but it's the moment pouring into this next generation, which then is going to turn into the next generation yes. because you too, Brooke, one day will potentially be a grandparent. Oh, I'm hoping so. Well, yeah. it's, it's bizarre. So Elizabeth and I got uh, married when we were 21 and we had kids when we were 23. So uh, I was talking with John Tyson recently. He was on yeah. the podcast recently and we were, we were just chatting and he, he had said, you know, being a grandfather by the time he's 50, which is very possible because his son just got engaged two days ago. So mm -hmm. Anyway, yeah, I'm kind of in that train. It could could happen. But I wanted to hear, so th that was Caleb. That's Caleb, number and, one. Number one. And then number two. Caitlin. Caitlin. Yeah. And, and oh, what I think is funny about my children, by the way, I got this from John Trent. Yes. Um, the Blessing. As a family. I love that I book. love the book. Oh, love he's such book. a great guy. Two, and it's like many times you feel like you're living in a zoo as a family. Mm. So true. Mm -hmm. um, and John has this idea of different ways of looking at personalities and the different gifts. So our son, 
is very much in, he's a thinker. Um, he's an intellect, such a kind man, so good, but very much um, is able to think well and deeply about things. And that's a great characteristic. Yes. My daughter, also a thinker, but in a different way, is very movement oriented. So she was a dance major in college, right? So my first one was a theology major. The second one became a dance major. So right there gives you a clue on how different they are. Um, but she has flourished in the world of um nonprofit organizations, reaching out to women who have been trafficked, uh, worked for a while uh, in the inner city of Indianapolis uh, for under-resourced children, and now actually has her own social media company um, and is incredible. I know. She is miscreative and actually helps me with my um, fledgling Instagram account because I need help. And so she's really great. She's married to Max, okay. who's an accountant. Okay. So he is the rock that keeps the helium balloon in place. <laughs> yes. I like me and my husband. And they yeah. just had a little girl. And um, so my granddaughter, Carter. Wow. And Carter's my maiden name. And so oh. they named her after my mom. She was Grandma Carter and uh, and me. That's so, so interesting. Our son, Duke, mm-hmm. our oldest son, Duke, is actually my mom's maiden name. <gasps> I yeah. love, let's have so, a trend. Yeah, We've started a trend. It's yeah, so As long great. as it's a good maiden it's, name. Yes, please. <laughs> there are some, oh my. Uh, some not good ones. We but, could really go down that rabbit trail, yeah. but let's not. Let's not. So, and then your youngest. My youngest is uh, in the different kind of, like if you have animal personalities, so you have lions and beavers and otters, he's our golden retriever. Oh. <laughs> he's heart. He is the heart. Everybody likes Josh best. Yeah. So if you even remotely like me or the rest of us, you'll like him better. Yeah. Um, And a kind human being. So intentional, married the sweetest girl, Sydney, who has such a heart uh, for women and especially those who have been in, entrapped in a cult. So she's oh, wow. incredible. And right now Whoa. they're in Chicago uh, working at Moody. We're so grateful and just seeing where the Lord leads them next. Wow. So it's fun when we get to get together with yeah. them and hang out in the city, but so Whew. different in what God has called them to do. Yeah. Um, and it's truly amazing. Like mm-hmm. I just sit back as a parent going, how did these incredible people even remotely come out of um, my life. husband and I, but by the grace of God. Yeah. I'm so grateful. So. And what does your husband do? He's my senior pastor oh, and has amazing. been for 35 years. And and I would oh. say this is my best thing about my husband. He was the only pastor my children knew growing up. And wow. I might cry. I'm so touched by it. Um and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. They could not have had a better dad or pastor. Mm. They couldn't have. He loved them richly. The gospel was the center of our home. Mm. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9, mm. and that family verse of it is by grace. Mm. You have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works. So no one can boast. You know, yeah. that is our salvation. And he faithfully brought the cross and what Christ has done for us in the middle of it. And then wow. we got to imperfectly live that out. Sure. Um, and I said this yesterday in the talk that I gave on yes. the transformational home. Yes. I wanted my children to see my sin enough so they saw my need for a savior. Mm. I don't want to live a life where Jesus is a is an addition or a good idea. It's kind of like the sprinkles on a cupcake. I don't want Jesus to be that. He was the center of it. I need him. And the only way they could know that is because they saw my sin. And they did. And then I got to confess and repent. But then they got to see me change. And that's the empowering work of the spirit. Um, and so even as they grew older, and I'm just warning you, as they become teenagers, Brooke, they yeah. may get, want to give you some reflections on your parenting. Uh, oh, yeah. They already do, actually. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And if they look like, what was, what were you thinking five years ago? What were <laughs> you thinking 10 years ago? Why did you do that? Oh, wait. Are you saying I'm a better parent now than I was? You are right. Yeah. Because I have walked with Jesus that much longer. Yeah. And I'm a better, gra- I'm a better parent now, and I'll be a better grandparent than yes. a parent because the work of the Spirit has been in my life. God is real. Jesus is real. And we need to see him real because we call our children into a relationship, not a program. Yes. We, you know, it's, yes. you don't become a Christian as just a, a list of doctrines we check off. We are entering into the living relationship with God. And when we walk with him, he transforms us. That's what God does. That's the business mm. of it. And so by God's grace, we got to show them our sin, but also our sanctification. And then one day, the hope of glorification, where yes. we all get to be in heaven, our forever home with our father forever and ever. Yes. And that was the blueprint of our home. And that is what my husband, he really laid out that blueprint. Hmm. He taught it faithfully in the church. We talked about it at home. 
And by God's grace, our children responded to that in faith. And I'm so glad. You are enjoying content brought to you by Intentional, a crowdfunded nonprofit that desires to help families and marriages all around the world in the area of discipleship and spiritual formation. This offering is completely free, thanks to the generosity of our growing community of Legacy Builders. Legacy Builders is a group of people from all around the world that give monthly to fuel this dream that we have in our hearts of seeing discipleship to Jesus in the family become a way of life. A monthly gift of $5, $10, or even $30 can continue to fuel this ministry forward. Our dream is to invite people like you to join and partner with us at a financial level and see this work integrated into families. So as you listen to this podcast, would you prayerfully consider joining us? Would you allow the Spirit to lead you, even if it's just to a few dollars a month? Thank you so much, and may the Spirit of Jesus give you wisdom, clarity, and joy as you pray about joining us. And if you want to join today, go to intentionalparents.org and click on Give. I'm just thinking about both. I'm thinking about what I know of you in these last 24 hours and what you just described as your husband. And that is a powerful couple. That is a power couple. I, I feel like um, what a gift it is to have both of you so similarly but differently focused. Mm-hmm. And what a gift and balance that has to be for, I mean, challenging maybe at times, I can yeah. imagine, but also <laughs> helpful in many ways to iron out some of that stuff. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that story. And, yeah. you know, Something that you you said actually yesterday in your talk, I'll reference this yesterday in your talk, and then I want to talk about what you're working on, your dissertation and book and or both or sure. I'm saying it wrong, but I want to talk about the project that you're working on uh, that we meant that you mentioned yesterday. So I'll, we'll just like a little tease real quick, but specifically before we get to that, uh, I would something that I know Elizabeth and I value so much. I know and intentional we value so much is the reality that we're not the perfect parents. There's no perfect parent. And we work from a place of of honesty about our wounds, honesty about who we are, honesty about our our brokenness. Mm-hmm. And we don't try to hide that or pretend that it doesn't exist. We start and hopefully have good tools to repair all the different ruptures that come. And uh, I what I loved about that you did yesterday, that is just such a huge, like, this is just personal from me to you, Elizabeth, just so appreciated you sharing a story of failure, not success. Yeah. Because that's the truth. Most Mm -hmm. of us throughout the day are really in tuned with our failures Mm -hmm. and our successes are a lot harder to identify. And we're honestly, usually not too honest about our failures or our our successes because our failures kind of overshadow them. Yeah. But yesterday you kind of shared this fun story. Would you mind just sharing that? <laughs> no. fun, is, are you okay to share that? I'm totally good. And yeah. I'm, I'm hoping Caleb's okay with this, but really it's about me, not him. Cause he was so sweet. Yeah. It's about my son. He was yeah. six or seven and um, Caleb, God gifted him with a natural intelligence, which is great. But when your child <laughs> tends to be on that end, yeah. they, you have to teach them to slow down. So they learn the path of learning. Um, not just the destination of it. And there's a sure. process there. Mm-hmm. And he loved skipping the process. He just wanted to get to the, this, this is the answer to the math problem. This is just what it is. I don't, why do I have to practice this? Or why do I have to repeat this? So he's not a journey person. No, <laughs> no. At that, He is now. But when he was little, he had to learn that. And so we were going over spelling words. Did not want to rehearse these spelling words. But I knew he needed to, not because he needed to learn how to spell it. He already knew that. But again slow down, think it through. That's all that was. Mm. He did not appreciate that. It was it was usually our ritual on the day of a spelling test to go over words. So he's done this before. But that morning he was not having it. And he had a little bit of an attitude and he was giving it to me. And, the, <laughs> and I was like, so there are just mornings you wake up really tired. Oh, yeah. And so my... <laughs> I did not have as much patience and I probably didn't, I'm going to probably didn't pray at all or enough for sure. (laughs) And so when he just kept pushing and pushing and pushing that button, at one point I was done Sure. and I was making his oatmeal. And so I'm stirring this. And by the way, it was instant because why not? And so I'm just stirring this to try to get it ready for him to eat. And when I snapped, I took the spoon and I whipped it at him. And it just hit him on the shoulder and it was a teaspoon. It wasn't like a metal cast on, but it was a spoon still. Sure. And the oatmeal went flying and it hit him on the shoulder. And he looked at me appalled, appalled. 
what did you just do? Like, who, what are you and doing? And at that man? moment, I will tell you, I'm like, I hit you with a spoon, right? I don't even care. Go and you go, I'm going to tell, tell, tell the school, tell everybody, but I'm going to tell that you're not practicing your spelling words. And so <laughs> it was crazy. And I'm, he calmed down because he knew I'd kind of lost it at that moment. Um, and I said, look, I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't throw spoons. We're not allowed to throw things at each other, right? I get it. But I really wasn't repentant. Let's not even pretend. Yeah. <laughs> but he knew that he had, that was, he'd crossed a line with mom. Calm down. We got it through, got him to school. But during the day, our God, who is so gracious to allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit, yes. I had a horrible day. I cried. I was, I'm a horrible mother. I've probably scarred him for life. Those kind of crazy thoughts. But I'm realizing whether it leaves a lasting rupture or not, I, I need to own this really boldly. So when I went to pick him up from school, he came out of the door and I was there waiting and I got on my knees in front of him and I took his little hands and I just looked him in the eye and I said, I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. And I am sorry. I was, I'm deeply sorry. I am not to lose my temper. I am not to run out of patience. And I want to sincerely apologize and ask for your forgiveness. Um, and in his very sweet six or seven years old, he puts his arms around me and goes, I forgive you, mommy. It's okay. Mm. And I said, mommy, never wants to do that again. I did not promise I wouldn't because I'm not a perfect person. Sure. So the idea that I will never lose it again, which is kind of an impossible promise, but I did have an, an absolutely spirit-led intention of I never want to do that again. And I'm going to, and I never did, praise yeah. God. Yeah. Um, but I said, I'm, I'm just so grateful. And I go, thank you. So let's start again. Mm. And I took his little hand and we're walking to the car. And as we are walking across the, the lawn toward the car, understand everybody is there. The teachers are out there. The parents are out there. The kids are out there. You got a good audience of many, a few hundred people because everybody's picking their kids up and stuff. He yells at the top of his lungs, my mommy needs Jesus and she can prove it. <laughs> um, and he had said what, that because what? I had just said to him, my sin shows you my need for him. I sinned and I'm sorry and I need your forgiveness. And Caleb, this is why I need Jesus, because I sin. I am a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, I, I sin. And this is why I need Jesus. And I had hoped that it would resonate with him sometime. I just didn't understand how quickly he was going to take that message. <laughs> and scream and it. And scream it. To, and I'm like, well, that was probably the best gospel message these people are ever going to hear. But talk about humility. And I'm oh, like, you're right. Wow. I am. I am. I want to have that humility because you're right, Caleb. Yes. I need Jesus. But what what I love about that story, thank you for sharing that. What I love about it is that's real. Mm -hmm. Like that, if we're all being honest, we've all done things in our parenting that we would love for no one else to know <laughs> and bad moments, hard moments. And, you know, and we're all worried about like, how is this going to scar? Like, is my son going to chronically hide spoons for the rest of his life? So nobody throws them at him. Like, he has like, a where phobia this, of oatmeal. Yeah. Like, what, where could this come? And I should I mean, ask him why, how he feels about oatmeal. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's a lot there. <laughs> unpack. You could help him unpack it. But you know, I just love the the vulnerability of real life and the rupture and repair that builds resilience. Yeah. And our kids, it's like the, it's the, it's the most real thing that I think parenting um, that we need to remember in our parenting. And I just yeah. loved that story and your transparency. I, I know for us, uh, Elizabeth and I, especially my wife, Elizabeth, we uh, transparency and yeah. honesty and vulnerability are, I really think the only way forward as in life, but also with your kids. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's really another way to go. This yeah. whole idea of projecting strength and like, we don't have problems. I mean, now there's a line, I think, of course, right. but you don't, we don't want to dump our stress on our kids, but I still think there's this other end yeah. of like, no, we have a ton of things that when we're honest and and uh, vulnerable and transparent, yeah. there's some beauty there. So can, can I do something please. if I, cause as you're, as you're speaking, what's, what's resonating in me. So this is the geek side of me. I am a professor. At Moody, yeah, I know this is what I right? love. I'm so and, excited. Um, yes. I just talk, a, took a great doctoral class on biblical theology. So thank you for that. I love the study that I had at Dallas theological seminary um, and God's story which obviously starts in the garden and it's a perfect world in which he walks and talks with us, but then we sin and we no longer walked and talked with him. And as a consequence of sin, our relationship was ruptured and we had to leave the garden. Um, and until the end of our story, we don't get to go back in and stay forever, but we live in a broken and sinful world. And throughout the beginning of 
of Genesis, we see throughout the Old Testament exactly what we've talked about, remembering God is our Father. The relationship with Him is ruptured, and yet God very honestly tells us our sin. This is how you have not honored me. And I think that's a way of looking at the law. The law is a reflection of God's character. We do not harm one another. We do not take one another disrespectfully so we don't steal. Mm. We live in truth so we don't lie. Um, we don't get to hurt each other so we don't murder. Um, we're not unfaithful to one another so we don't commit adultery. It's a reflection of who he is. And every time they broke the law, he just gave them more law. It's like he's a little obsessive about it. What is the purpose of more and more law? Yeah. Well, we need more and more God. Here is our character and here's my character and here's my character. And yet we fail every time. And so God gives us the way. We sin and go against it. We rupture it. He lets us know what that rupture is, that authenticity. But then he makes a way to repair the relationship. And we, and he does that for us. Yes. And I think that is parenting. That is our heavenly father is so good. And we see it again and again. If we read the Old Testament, if you read the story of scripture and God's relationship with his people as that, here is who I am and I want a relationship with you. And yet something comes in to break that. And in scripture, it's always our fault. It's always God is faithful and perfect. Humans are the one who messes it up. Where the story is different in our human parenting is that we can mess it up as much as a child. But in God's perfect story, he's the perfect father. We mess it up. He is very honest. He never lied or minimized to his children. Not in the Old Testament and not in the New. This is what you did absolutely what you did. Like an example, when Jeremiah wrote, he's looking at the people of God and said, you have two problems, right? You have two. Number one, idolatry. Idolatry. But number two, in the people of Judah, which is the southern part of Israel, he's like Israel, the northern part. Assyria came in and had taken them away already into captivity. And yet you knowing who God is, you knowing his law and his character, you still chose to sin, you still chose to disrespect and dishonor him. Did you not think that you were going to get a different consequence? You didn't learn. You didn't learn from the everything around you. So the Babylonians are going to come in and now <laughs> yeah, you yeah. get to go into captivity, right? And mm. so there were two sins actually against the Southern part. You didn't, you first did the same kind of sin and second, you didn't learn. And I really think one of the egregious things we can do as parents is we need to learn. We learn from the story of scripture and then we learn from the stories of one another. Yes. But God is a God who is honest and authentic with who he is mm. and our sin and the repair. So repentance and that reparation has to include what is we done wrong. Like when I talked to Caleb, I yeah. first say what I did wrong. Yes. Name it. If you can't name it, skip the I'm sorry. Mm. You can be regretful all day long. Judas against Christ was regretful all day long. It wasn't a Peter repentance. Yes. Here's where I was wrong. Yes. And then this is the subjective part of how I feel. I am so sorry. And then I do not take forgiveness for granted. Mm. And then we walk in restitution. And throughout God's story from beginning to end, we see that reparation and the, even if you want to study even more about scripture, the 400 years of what we call silence between the Old and the New Testament, it wasn't silence. It was a sense of God was building that waiting and that anticipation because there was no king, there was no judge, and there was no prophet that was perfect that brought truly the way to make it right. We were waiting and every single king and every single judge and every single prophet disappointed. It wasn't the one but God said, he's coming. And so we see so many Old Testament prophecies pointing to the one. Yeah, Where's the one? The one isn't here. And then for 400 years it was, is the one coming? Mm. Is God still working? Yes. And what I even see in that is as parents, you sometimes have to wait <laughs> for God to work in the lives of your child. Mm. But God always works. Yes. I'm, you know, as you're even talking, some of the things that come to my mind uh, right away are just thinking about, Practically, that's very helpful, by the way, the, that whole lineage. And it leads me to the next question, which is, you know, I think shame is a very mm -hmm. big, big thing for one of the reasons we find it very hard to repair. We feel so shameful. We almost don't know how to do that. Um, I would love to know any of the thoughts that you have around the topic of shame and resilience and, and how shame can just even sabotage us from 
actually entering into that kind of sincere relationship with our spouse, with our children, with our friends. So many times we look at the gifts that God gives us and we consider them bad because they feel bad or we don't know what to do with them. But I think we could look at shame as a gift. Shame is the sense of I have failed. So let's let's there's two kinds. So the first shame is I've done it to myself. I've mm-hmm. made a choice. Like I was ashamed. What with I, I I have no joy in the story that I told in the sense of what I did. <laughs> yeah. And but the yeah. shame propelled me to repentance. And then that led me to restitution, uh, rep- reparation and restitution with my son. Shame is a gift as it's, it's an emotion. Right? But the emotion is meant to point us away forward. When we sit in that shame, is when we're in trouble. So as you had mentioned, that sense of shamefulness where it's now a part of my identity, that is never what God intended for us to do with that. Shame is the emotion that leads to humility, Hmm. which allows then for me to be defined as a sinful but saved child of God. Yeah. So in an over-therapeutic culture, which is where we're moving Mm -hmm. towards right now, the word shame... um, is always, at least when I come across it, is always 98% of the time negative. It's, right. and, and I would say, obviously, shame has done so much damage mm-hmm. and living in shame. And uh, so what I hear you saying, and I actually agree with you, is that there's a certain level of of shame not induced by others and or even induced by God, because we know that that's not God's heart. It's It's conviction, which is different than shame. Um, I hear you say that that's actually a helpful tool in the process of repentance. Am I hearing you correctly? I don't want to put yeah. words in your mouth, but I'm trying to connect that idea. Well, yeah. Who hasn't felt shame? Yeah. If you haven't felt shame, you're probably a narcissist. Honestly, <laughs> narcissists never feel shame because they never really do anything wrong. Yeah. You can't tell them anything. There's no wow. shame. So shame is the doorway. I mean, think about God invites us into his kingdom. I mean, every time Jesus went into a new town, he said, the kingdom of God is here. Okay. That's his gospel. The kingdom is here. And God invites us into the kingdom and we need a way in. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life into the kingdom. So it is through him and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave that had paid for that doorway to be open. You have a ticket in. And so we have to walk through Christ into the kingdom. But many times as we're in the kingdom, these difficult emotions are just doorways into deeper recesses of it. Mm. So the shame is my doorway. Who lives in the doorway? I really hope when you go home, you don't live in your doorway. <laughs> don't don't say, here's my home. No, no, it's your doorway. So go in and then unpack that and like, what is this doing? Where is it from? Um, if it's from yourself, let it lead to conviction. If it's from someone else, then the, then the pain that you feel and the pain that was a, as a victim that was put upon you, the, the trauma that someone has done to you, mm. then look at that allow uh, you know Jehovah Rapha the healing god to speak into your life allow others to come alongside you look at it as an opportunity to figure out what someone has done to me on some way i must be taking responsibility for it because i'm not resolving the shame you have to remember if you're the truly the victim then you're not responsible and that's a very hard thing for some people to grasp mm. If you choose to sin against me, Brooke, then you chose to sin against me. That's not my responsibility. Mm. I'm not going to take responsibility for somebody else's sin. It makes me feel bad. I may feel shame in what it has done to me, but that shame isn't someplace I live and I don't take more responsibility for things than I should. So Mm. figure out the questions that you need to ask yourself when you feel shame. Don't just try to get rid of it. Right? Except that it's there and every good gift is from God. It's just that they don't all feel good and sure. they all don't come from good things. Yeah. But it's meant to move us forward. It's yeah. always meant to move us forward. So yeah. even if your child comes home and they feel shame for something they did, they let's say they cheated on a test mm-hmm. and they have to tell you, then that shame is, we acknowledge that, right? Shame leads to confession, conviction. And then again, restitution. Yeah, repentance. We just don't live there. We have a new offering for you. 
If you'd like to receive daily or weekly text messages and encouragement around parenting, marriage, with prayers and scriptures, click the link in the show notes and we would love to send those to you. Can't wait to connect more with you. So I want to, you said trauma, which is a great segue to some of the stuff you're working on. Before we get to that, you said asking yourself the right questions to identify the shame. Would you be able to give a couple examples of some good questions to ask in your process of identifying what the shame is? Is it shame? Where is it from? Yeah, great. The big question is, why do I feel this? Hmm. Right. But the problem with that question is if you're an adult, so if you're over, especially 25, you might be able to go to that question because your brain, which is fully developed cognitively at 25, that's when all of those neurons come into maturation. So as an adult, that's a great question. But if you're under 25, then you have to unpack that a little bit. So part of my specialty working with kids and families is that different developmental life stages and what they're actually able to do at certain ages. And we don't want to go beyond the appropriate expectations of any age. So if they're little, asking a child, why did you do that, is really kind of a name question. It's They're not going to understand it. It's too abstract. It's too big. But you could ask the question, what did you do that would... Um, you know, that would, that would, that you made that choice, that choice was made, what, you know, what did you do? Or what were you thinking? What, where did that choice come from? And so if you're really little, for example, let's say you're only four or five, because you want to actually talk about this when they're little, don't Mm -hmm. wait till they're 25. Right. And they do something. Shame's a really hard emotion. They're not really going to feel it until after the age of three. It's not possible. Your brain can't really, it's a, it's a self-evaluative emotion. We were talking yesterday. Was it, were you the one that's saying Uh something before three? What were we talking about? It was fascinating. So they can't feel guilt. They don't feel guilt or shame or those, and they, and they don't lie. Do the cookie story that you told me about. That was that, I think that's really helpful. What we talked about yesterday, I actually, so if you have a second, because it's kind of on the guilt and shame are, or, you know, obviously they're intertwined, yeah, they're separate, but they're, but they're intertwined. Yeah. So maybe that example, and then I don't yeah, want to derail great. you from what you were doing. Yeah, were no, doing. no, no. So under the age of three, if your child, let's say they're two and a half, and their face is filled with cookie crumbs, and you ask them, did you eat the cookies? It's a yes or no question. It's an easy question for a little one. And they look at you and go, no. <laughs> with cookies all with over cookies the face. With cookies all over them and the, everything else. <laughs> yes. You're sitting there going, that's a lie. Well, a lie would mean that they are able to keep two versions of reality in their head at the same time. One, what you said to. So if you obviously, if you had said beforehand, like, don't eat the cookies or these cookies are for dinner um, and so you're saving them or something and the cookies are there and they know they probably shouldn't eat a whole batch of cookies. Um, And so that's one reality. These are the cookies and what are they doing? And then the second reality is what they did with them. They actually have to compare the two. They're not able to compare the two. Their brain can't do that. They can't keep two things in their head at once. They really can't. So therefore, if you ask them if they have cookies and now they're done eating the cookies, they're they're just wearing the consequence of it. And they are thinking in their head, I did not eat cookies. At that moment, that is their reality. And what they believe is that what I'm thinking is what you're thinking. It's kind of like the Unimind. It's those little green guys in Buzz Lightyear where they all think and say the same things at the same time. Yes. Yes. And so in their head, I didn't eat the cookies. You must be thinking also, I didn't eat the cookies. And therefore, I didn't eat the cookies. Hmm. It's not a lie to them. It's how they interact with reality, which as an adult makes no sense to us. Yeah. And I was going to say, it can be probably tricky because there's a line when you wouldn't necessarily be able to identify it, that that changes and they actually do know they're lying, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because yeah. that also does happen. Right. Uh, all my kids are very capable of lying now at this oh, age, yeah. you know, right? They're, like, absolutely. they know, but it's interesting because that's that it almost feels like that adolescent way of thinking is is what in many ways bleeds into our culture now. It's like, well, believe your own truth, right? Yeah. Like how much, like you get to live your version of reality. Yeah. And what I hear you saying is, yeah, that stops after like age three. two or three. Yeah, three, but, three, three but, is it, you're but, done. Yeah, but after that, like you don't get to choose, like <laughs> no, reality is reality, yeah. Um, well, uh, with all that said, thank you for going there. I oh, really sure. appreciate it. I'd love to talk about what you're working on. Yeah, oh, and that, okay, so can I finish that one thought? Oh, yes. Just only because it's my random thought, oh, so it's yes, totally please. me. You tell the truth, prior to them understanding the truth. So even though you don't know what a lie is, you don't understand, I'm going to tell you this is what we call a lie. 
you ate the cookies. I wasn't talking about, are you eating them now or your own version of it? You ate cookies. And when I ask you a question, truth is that what you say matches what you did. Now, a two and a half will never understand that amount of words. They're not going to know. You just tell them, this is a lie. And then you move on. But you don't punish them like you would a four or five-year-old. A four or five-year-old knows that they are trying to twist reality. Hmm. But before the age of three, they don't know that. So we tell the truth, but we respond and I tell the truth and we move on. At four or five, we speak truth. And now we give a consistent consequence to that yeah, yeah, because we are reinforcing what that truth is and what happens when we are not living that truth. Sure. And, and that's yeah. what God calls us to. You know, Jesus is yeah. the way, the truth, and the life. When we are not living in line with that, yeah. it is sin and sin has consequences. Sure. Right? Well, and what you're even talking about, I think there's a lot of parents when a kid's two or three or right around that stage and there's this constant lying and or not connected to reality and they're just wigging out. You know, they've come yeah. to us before. They're are are they a chronic liar? Are they are they, you know, are am I gonna have yeah. somebody who's just completely oh. addicted to lying and like can't and and yeah. you know, so if you're if your kids are in that stage and you're feeling that listen to what Elizabeth is saying and breathe a little bit. Okay, I'll tell you my really them. fun thing and then I promise I'll go and talk what you want me to really talk about. My favorite question oh, was this from is a great young, either way. Okay, I'm loving it. My you had a precious, precious young mom years and years and years ago, came up and was in tears on a Sunday morning. I think my child's going to end up in prison. And I'm like, <laughs> welcome to the club. I think we all have that. Right, I'm like, I don't even think they're two yet. That is really quite the forecast. <laughs> yeah. What, what would I go? So the question I would ask is, what would lead you to that conclusion? Sure. Well, they lie all the time. And in my head, I'm thinking they're incapable of lying. They're just not speaking reality the way you see it or for what it is. But they're two. Yeah. What are well, you're expecting way, way too much? I'm sure your child's bright. Sure. All children in the church are over just they're all gifted. Let's just assume that. <laughs> yeah. But they're not that gifted. No. So I'm like, I go, well. I can't guarantee they won't, right? So sure. let's, but I kind of doubt it. Yeah. I wouldn't put that on them Yeah. because they're not capable of lying. And so I gave her this information and I said, so breathe, take a deep breath, mm-hmm. tell her the, tell her what lying is, tell her what truth is, but let it go and have a good day. Don't even punish her because she doesn't get it, Yeah. right? It's just yeah. not, it wouldn't make sense to her. If you want to confuse her, then punish her for something she knows nothing about. Like, why am I being punished? I don't get it. Wait sure. till they're older sure. and reinforce it. Tell the truth, but learn to reinforce it at the appropriate ages. Love that. Mm-hmm. Love that. So give us a heads up of what you're working on. Uh, so I'm doing this dissertation, which is hilarious because <laughs> I've always said I'll never get a doctorate. Oh, my word. The amount of reading. And I yeah. really like talking. Like I would do this all day long, Brooke. All day long. So maybe, yeah, maybe <laughs> you just need to say, hey, can I get my dissertation through various podcasts and we can have lots of conversations? <laughs> Why didn't I meet you two years ago yeah, when I started this process? I don't know. I, I, I don't, don't know. know. It's a great idea though. So I'm I'm doing it. And then my dissertation okay. is on how can the church or is the church a spiritually supportive community for those children and families recovering from trauma? Wow. Thank you. I wow. hope it's going to be good. No, so, it's wow because wow. I think it's not just like recovering from trauma is not just the familial layer. It is, yeah. but it's mm-hmm. more than that. So and, much more. And my personal experience, our family's experience, it it takes the different layers and yep. levels. So I, yep. when, when we were talking about this yesterday, I was absolutely intrigued for lots of various reasons, but I would just love to know more. Like, so tell me about that, any direction you want to go. I just want to yeah. hear about what you're kind of processing and thinking and in different ways in which you're kind of, testing and seeing how this is all playing out, what you're trying to accomplish with that. Yeah. All trauma recovery requires not just the individual and the immediate support structure of the family or whatever community, the immediate community they're in. We all know, and it's obvious that we need social support networks. Many times we look at this as a school or we look at this as a neighborhood Mm -hmm. and we look at different community groups. You can go to a group therapy, right? So we're looking at the groups that are speaking in that social support. And when people don't have that, recovery of trauma um, is so much more difficult, much more difficult. 
Um, same thing if somebody has just gone through a crisis. So we know there's been hurricanes and tornadoes. Well, you see wonderful groups like the Red Cross, uh, Samaritan's Purse, going into really difficult places that just experienced a crisis. And that's great because in the moment, they need outside groups. It's not one person from Red Cross goes. Many people go. Mm. And those groups of people come and give physical care and emotional care and spiritual care and psychological care. And that's great. But when the crisis is over, sometimes the groups dissipate and the individual can feel feel very alone. And then that's where if they don't know they shouldn't live in shame, they can live in shame. I've lost I've lost so many things and they don't know how to deal with all the things that they've lost and how that has changed their identity and what to do with emotionally. And so they may try to figure that out as an individual and then within their immediate family. So we go to a counselor or we talk to a pastor. But it takes more than that. Mm. It takes it takes a community. Um, there's, there's a phrase, you know, it takes a village. And in this best sense of that phrase, it, it does. It takes a village. It takes a community. And when you read the research psychologically, the secular research that's been done, it talks a lot about these other kind of social support opportunities in the community. Rarely does it talk about the church. But the and as I was reading the literature on this, I'm like, mm. but shouldn't the church as a community, really come alongside these kids and families that have gone through a crisis and are recovering from trauma? Shouldn't we be the best of all possible communities? I mean, we serve the best of all possible beings. He is our God. He's the best of all possible beings. And the kingdom is the best of all possible communities. We live in smaller parts of that community as church families supporting supporting community and we're a supporting community and mm. as i looked at the research i'm like i don't think we've defined what that looks like or what that means and so that's where i'm trying to do an intersectionality between scripture and, and theology the study of god the study of the community and what we learn from research and i'm in the midst of creating a it's, it's considered a survey so mm. and i will give it to pastoral leadership mm. saying if you were to assess your church community is your church community exemplifying the key characteristics that allow children and families to recover from trauma in the most effective way? Hmm. How's your church doing? What does it look like? Because it's a sense of being, and that's what's really hard to think about this. Well, my church is loving. That's great. I hope every church family is loving. Yeah. But are you empathic? Yeah, you I was going to say, what, what are to- the characteristics that a church would need? Right to actually be effective to help a family? That is, okay, first of all, before I even answer it, that is the question, Mm. right? Absolutely. And how often do we slow down to say, do we have these? And and even before I start talking about any of them, let me say this. I don't believe any one human, nor any one family, nor any one church exemplifies all of them really, really well. Hmm. It's impossible. Um, as an example, um, and I did this in my talk yesterday, I'm, I'm kind of a person that would live my life out loud. It's kind of obvious. What is she thinking? What is she feeling? Hey, do you want to talk? Yes. That's how, and so God has made me this otter extrovert. Um, I love to think, but I love to share what I thought. And I love to yeah. process that with others. Yes. That is how God made me. Others, no, they live quietly. They live more internally. Mm-hmm. Which person's better than the other? Neither. We reflect different parts of God. Mm. There are times God lives way out loud. I mean, look at some of the amazing sunsets we give where God displays his glory and beauty for Mm. everyone to see. Mm. And then- Do they have those in Illinois? Good sunsets? We have great sunsets. You do, you do. We do. Maybe not, maybe the same. I'm just curious. Where do you live, by the way? I live in Bend, Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. Oh, do you so, have good sunsets? Oh, like impeccable because we're we're about four thousand feet elevation. Yeah. So yeah, impeccable. Like pink skies, the whole thing. It's just every night, in, unless it's smoky, because we also there's tons of wildfires uh, all up and down the west coast at the time. Uh, but no, most of the time, really great sunsets. But anyway, anyway but but you're right. right. Yes, God. That's, that's a God. great example, right? Yeah. yeah, it is. Right. And so we have to ask. We have to see it, and we have sure. to recognize it, and realize. There are quiet sunsets and there are just out loud in your face, blatant sunsets. Mm -hmm. They're all beautiful Mm -hmm. and they're beautiful in different ways. So as we evaluate ourselves, many times we need to look and say, what what is the one or the two of these that I do really well? 
not um, do I do all of them great? So when everybody thinks about this, it's not are you perfect and do you have them all in the same way? It's what am I exemplifying here that is beneficial? Mm. Um, and how do I do that? Because it could also look very different among cultures. Mm -hmm. It's not going to look the same if you are inner city versus rural. It's not going to look the same if it's African-American versus Asian versus ca Caucasian versus Latino. Yeah. It's not going to be the same. It's not same with the socioeconomic status. Sure. If you come from a place that has a lot of resources or for those that don't have many. Mm. So we have to keep context in mind. We also want to ask how does God want to show himself through our family, you know, through the, our, yeah, you know, yeah. through our church, right? So again, I'm a big fan of let's take away the shoulds and let's take away some shame that doesn't need to be there. Mm. Let us be true, but be tender. And that's totally stolen from Spurgeon where he said, <laughs> let your that, children yes. be born again, but tell them be true, but be tender. So let's be tender with ourselves for self-compassion first, as we give compassion to others, mm. right? So one key quality of all of this is empathy. And empathy means I don't just feel sorry for what you're going through, but I am feeling sorry with you. I put myself in your shoes. Not that you're just in the shoes, but you know that, that you're having to walk this path, but I want to come in and walk that path with you. Hmm. And so is so empathy is one of the qualities and it's probably the largest of then the question is how does your congregation do that? If you're enjoying this content and you want to go deeper, we have an amazing resource that we want to tell you about. It's the intentional film series Raising Passionate Jesus Followers. Now this is an incredible tool for you for spiritual formation in the family. And we created this film series to help parents in their God-given task to raise and disciple their own children. Now, our hope is that we're able to help you and give you some of the tools that I know we so desperately need as we're in the process of raising our kids and Phil and Diane have actually raised their kids. This is a nine session film series on the process of what raising a passionate Jesus follower actually looks like. There's some workable solutions in here. There's a bunch of wisdom from the scriptures and there's a bunch of practical help in your journey as you are raising your children. We cover all sorts of things like parental roles, goals versus values. What is discipline versus punishment? How do I create a heart of obedience in my child where they actually want to obey? What is a heart of self-control look like? Or how do I even help my child in the process of character development? We cover that and so many more things. You can use this film series in a variety of ways. You can use it at your home, preferably with your spouse if that's applicable, with a group of friends or in your community, or even through your local church. All you need to do is head over to our website, intentionalparents.org, click on film series, and then follow the prompts. We have a bunch of other resources there that you can check out, but we do pray that this blesses you in your pursuit of raising passionate Jesus followers. Well, and to get a collective group, yep. an organism of thoughts and ideas and people, I mean, how many people go to any given church uh, that even... There's, there's people in those rooms, as an example, that still don't validate emotional health as an important quality in life, mm -hmm. right? Maybe maybe that's one end of the spectrum. The other is maybe it's maybe it's too much, right? There, there's a balance of both, but I'm just saying that it has to be so challenging to try to get such a unique, eclectic group of people mm -hmm. in operating all in the same direction yeah. to help or to be a resource for families and for people. Yeah. Um, but I, I also think you are so onto something with this because when I, um, so I, I don't, I don't think you and I talked about this, but I can share more later, but we've all, we've shared it on the podcast before, but, uh, our third little girl, uh, Birdie, her name's Birdie James. She got really sick when she was six months old and, uh, had a catastrophic form of epilepsy called infantile spasms mm -hmm. and went from a completely healthy, normal little girl to, uh, brain damage for the rest of her life and recovering from that. She still is recovering from that. So we find ourselves in this situation with a little one. And what was so ironic to me was how nobody in the church, especially knew what to do yeah. with tragic amounts of pain that was yeah. uh, catastrophic and overwhelming and sudden. And so the questions that would come Absolutely. were questions like, is she doing better? <laughs> is she doing okay? <laughs> and you're like, uh, and it, what we started to realize, because we had no idea we were walking, we had no idea that this would be the response from people, uh, that it was like, oh, you need me to say that because if I say that it's not, it's bringing up the fact for you that life is not what you necessarily believe it or that 
tragedy can happen to anybody, including people that you know or are close to. And it was yeah. so amazing how people would try to practice empathy, but what they really needed was for everything to be okay for them. Yes. And that was a very big eye opener for me of like, whoa, yeah. I don't like, so then you try to include people, but there's only a few people that you can include that can actually hang with you in the empathetic way that you're talking about to where they can actually sit in it with you. Um, and I think that takes a certain, like you already know the answer, you know this, but it takes such a level of emotional awareness and intelligence to yeah. be able to sit in that yeah. uh, with us. And we found it was so consistent among any church or group of yeah. people. And I think honestly, if I'm being honest, it was, I don't necessarily know if it was worse with Christian communities, but I definitely think it was just on par with where a culture yeah. is or or potentially worse because it was like, hey, we serve a God that doesn't let bad things happen. You know, like that's kind of the the baked in cultural Christian Absolutely. cultural thing. Yeah. So anyway, that's a side tangent to say I see the need like yep. everywhere. I think about yep. our moment in, in our family and going like, and we've had multiple moments with our kids with health and each time has yep. been the same. It's been like, oh, right. we're, we're with you for that first week. And then you're like, where are you there? Where, yeah. And, and I don't actually hold it against it. Like personally, I don't hold it against anybody, but I do think there's something really that you're into tapping into with this. Like, can we have, uh, how can we help the culture of church and the culture of people, especially believers, uh, understand their role responsibility in helping heal other people's trauma? Not that they need to take it all on and yeah. make it happen, but how can we actually set that up to where a whole church community goes? We know how to handle this yeah. because everybody in your church is hurting, like in one way or another. Trauma yeah. happens, pain happens to so many people. So I just love what you're doing. I love oh. what you're talking about. I love what you're processing. Um, when, for you, like what kind of things have you kind of been, dis I heard some of the stuff you're discovering. What are some of the, the ways in which you're hoping to tackle some of these, this thing? Like how do, how do we, and I, I think right now you're probably in yeah. the process of thinking of it. So if this I just is, want to finish the dissertation. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, this might be a premature question. We'll, no, we'll set up no, another combo, good. but, but you know, I, I just love that heart of training, equipping. And is that kind of the primary way that you want to do, like go about that? What's kind of your hope? I could. I mean, what a great question. And yes, I really, I did not get, so this is a doctorate of educational ministry and I specifically didn't get a PhD because a PhD is what's called a research doctorate. Hmm. You do a lot of research and you write something and, and sometimes those come into a book or something, but a lot of times... I have seen there on a shelf and I didn't want to do something to go on the shelf. I'm not a shelf person. <laughs> so a doctor of educational ministry really does require to think, how does this benefit the church? Hmm. How does it benefit others? And so being a professor at Moody and then being a church, I'm a, my husband's a pastor, so I'm a pastor's wife and mm -hmm. I love ministering in churches. I love what we're doing here at Child Discipleship Forum. Forum. My hope would actually, number one, to raise awareness yes, and then to go a little bit deeper in that of saying, okay, so why was the necessary, it's a necessary response. You needed empathy. It was needed to help. It would have been so helpful for you to effectively handle what has been put on your plate mm. in a way that would have been less painful, perhaps less elongated. It, it could mm. have in some way truncated some of the challenges you went through. Mm -hmm. um, why wasn't that there? Because now we have an awareness it's not there. And now we have an awareness that this is a trend. Mm -hmm. And I would, I think from some of the research, I would say two things. One, people are afraid to risk failure. What if I say the wrong thing to you, Brooke? Yes, yes. And because I'm, refu I don't want to, I don't want to fail. And I don't want to say something wrong. Therefore, I'm just going to make everything okay. Or I'm not going to say anything at all. Mm -hmm. So now I've left you alone. And I feel that pressure too with other people. Yeah, we yeah. all feel that. But then what does that require? Let's all just realize that humility, right? Let's be humble that we're always going to say something wrong at times. I'll never always get it right. Like, I don't even remember what we talked about this whole time. If I, I mean, I do remember, but maybe I've said something and put my foot in my mouth. Okay. I'm just going to own that mm -hmm. because if I lived in if I was so afraid of failure, I would never have this conversation with you. Mm. What if it's not perfect, Brooke? What if you don't like me after this? <laughs> what if people listening don't like me? And you become so self-evaluative in light of failure, we never try anything. Yeah, And then sure. we leave people alone or we end up saying something which really is a failure. Like, oh, is everything better? She has, ex <laughs> she has undergone 
brain damage she will have for the rest of her life. I don't know what you don't understand that that's not going to get better. It doesn't just go away. It yeah. doesn't go away. And it's not going to get better. Let me say this. You, it is going to progress and you will do all you can to maximize her potential, mm-hmm. which is moving forward. Yes. She will never be the way God gave you to her. And God yeah. is having you go through that transformation. Mm-hmm. And while you see God working and it's going to open doors for you and her and her life, it's going to change so many people. Uh, people. As parents, you really wish God would have chosen a different path. Yes. I mean, Jesus in the yeah. garden, his last prayer to his father was, Please. Are you sure? Yeah. Is this really the plan? Could you take it away? Mm-hmm. And if our if our Savior can ask, couldn't there be a different way? Mm. And God said, no, you have to go through the tragedy. Then we have to go through the tragedy. And you know, it was so sad. Jesus went through it alone. We are doing what the disciples did. We're not with him. We fall asleep when we should be praying. <laughs> the only one... There was one, though, and that was his best friend, John. John showed up at the cross. Yeah. And when Jesus is hanging there and he saw John, what a relief Jesus must have felt. John, this is your mother. Take care of her for me. Mm. And in that, John did two things. He believed God and he showed up. Mm. And he was willing to just live in that humility and that risk of, I've been a failure. I wasn't there for you when I should have been. Even Peter, after the resurrection, he showed up and he was on, he was so embarrassed to talk to Jesus, but at least he was around. And I'm like, for us, risk failure, risk not saying the right things, mm. but show up going, I'm so, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in pain with you. Sure, sure. And I'm just going to walk through there with you because I can't fix it. That's what Jesus wanted. Would you just be with me as I go to the cross? That is empathy. I'm just going to be with you because I can't fix this. And this is God's plan for you. This isn't a mistake what happened to your daughter. Mm -hmm. It is God's beauty. It's part of the beautiful plan. Mm -hmm. And it's the dark part of a plan, but God doesn't waste our pain. And because of that, your daughter is going to do amazing things for the kingdom. But you're going to have to cry so many tears. And it's going to be so hard. And my prayer for you and your wife right now is that you don't walk that alone, Mm -hmm. that there are others who care and see the beauty and and see your heart. And it does. It breaks my heart that you had to go through that alone. Yeah. And the church, we can do so much better mm. because we can risk failure and mm. we can we can be with in such a beautiful way because the spirit lives in us. Yes. And that's my heart for the church. Wow. And if I can speak into that in any way, that's what I hope my dissertation and research will do. Well, I'm hoping that then we'll have to do some follow-up once you get a little bit more. <gasps> that would be great. That would be great. Um, Thank you for having empathy towards me in this moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I really oh, yeah. appreciate it. Couldn't have stopped it, to be honest, uh, yeah. as you can tell. I'm but, crying as I'm talking. Uh, no, I so appreciate that. It's a it's a gift. And, you know, I, I do want to be clear that there there were there were handfuls of people that were able to show up and and it's a huge gift. But I think it showed me exactly what you're talking about, yeah. what what you're doing great work in, which is this is not a common response. There were some that did have some of that training. Mm. And I have to tell you, it was like the biggest drink of cold water on the hottest day when yeah. when somebody is able to do that. Yeah. And it changes your life and perspective. And and I also would say, you know, I don't know what version of Birdie I would have if this didn't happen. But I don't know if I would want the other one. Yeah. If the one I have is so incredible. And yeah. it is it is very much the way that she moves through the world and works that gives me so much life and her uniqueness. It would be so sad if it wasn't there. And so it's interesting how it's all kind of played out and God has, you're absolutely right. There's, there has been progression. There's been a lot of progression. Um, we've seen a lot of amazing things, but it's, it's once, you know, two steps forward, one step back and we see good. And then we, then there's hard moments still. Um, I'd like to end our time today with asking you a question that I did not prep you for at all. Um, awesome. Love surprises. <laughs> love surprises. So much. Uh, yes. So my question to you is what is just one or two things that you are learning right now? It can be on the topic of anything we talked about, or it can be completely random. But one or two things that you've been learning about that you've been sitting in that you've just been like, this is cool. Like I've been transformed by this or changed by this. Yeah. So completely wild card. So you can take a minute to think if you want, but would love to know what you're processing, what's some stuff you're passionate about. Anybody who knows me knows that I don't need a minute. 
Um, <laughs> but thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Um, I would say two things. And it was really for preparing for this child discipleship forum, which has been an amazing experience to be in and to be a part of. Um, but it, one is what God requires us to do is to merely be faithful. Really like the Apostle John, believe and show up. Right. That's it. Hmm. So many times I, I have found people wanting, but what if it doesn't produce a certain thing or what if it we're looking for the consequences of it and expecting numbers or we're expecting something. And and really, we don't have any control of all of that. All I can do is in the moment, was I faithful today and how God honors our faithfulness. And in our faithfulness, we're going to be incredibly imperfect. I will be persistently imperfect in everything I do. But if I, at the end of the day, when I put my head on the pillow, I can say, but Lord, I, I, I wanted to be faithful. That is really when I see my father face to face on the day I enter into his kingdom for good. I'm so, I want him to go, you were faithful. I gave you a little and you did as much as you could with it. Mm. And if we can celebrate that and, fa- and say that I can give myself mm. and that God in the spirit can give me, there's so much hope in that. Versus our self-criticism and mm-hmm. our imperfections and where we're just looking at what we don't have versus that quality of faithfulness, no matter how big or how little your family, your ministry, your life, do not diminish your faithfulness and stop evaluating things the way the world does. Don't listen to the lies of Satan that uses a world's metric when really God says, were you walking with me today? Did you walk? Did you did you pay attention to me? Did you believe? Yeah, I'm still a Christ follower. Absolutely. Great. There you go. A plus. Yes. I see I'm a teacher. So there you go. Mm. And I think it's the second is to remember that we are saved by the gospel and where God, he just radically saves us through the blood and resurrection of Christ. And we go back to the propitiation, you know, just the substitution that God, that Christ did for us, that he is our propitiation. He absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. He has paid for it all. And by the resurrection of the dead, he has deposited within us that salvation. And he told his disciples, they were so afraid when he left the earth, what are we going to say? What are we going to do? And he goes, well, basically it is to your benefit that I leave because then the spirit comes in and dwells within you. And to Mm. never remember we're alone. We're not alone. We sometimes think we are. I'm trying to figure this out by myself and we're not. I am never alone. He is always in me and with me. And as long as I am walking with him, and I'm trying to be faithful and who God made me to be. I don't have to be like anybody else. It doesn't have to look like anybody else. I'm just going to be faithful and I'm going to walk in the spirit and then I'm going to call it a day. <laughs> and it's going to be a really great day. It is going to be a great day. Right. Yes. So that I would encourage people with and to and to just revel in those two truths. Mm. We uh, thank you for your time today. We'll connect people with what all the good that you're putting in the world. Please keep putting good in the world. Thank you for taking the time and the just your whole life. You you aren't wasting your time. And I like you more now than before the interview. So oh, there you go. So just, we'll give you the fears. See, um, but thank you for taking the time and thank you for how you're impacting families all over the world um, and even educating others to do the same. You know, that's such a really tangible thing that you're doing mm. uh, even with Moody. I, I graduated from Moody, actually. I don't know if I told you this. Yeah. You never I, told me I that. I never told you. Yeah, you're I, an alum. I am. This I, is so exciting. I totally am. Yeah. But I, I actually never went to the campus. I was all online because I we, love on, I teach online. Yeah. I love Moody's online program. Hands down, the best in the country. It, I'm just going to show. It was really good. It was good primarily oh. because my wife and I, uh, we got married young, and then she was pregnant with our first son. And I was like, I'm not in the stage where I'm going to be moving anywhere to go to school. So I I finished uh, my degree there, and yes, it was a it was a great experience. But I never I never walked. I never did all the stuff. I've never even yeah. been. But I did graduate from there. So um, we're so yeah. glad. Yes, thank and it you. seems like it's been of great benefit to you. Yeah, Praise honestly, God. it was really helpful. You know, especially in ministry, it was very helpful when I when I went to school. And then I've had some other education as well. But all that said, I think uh, this has just been so helpful. And I so appreciate you taking the time. And so appreciate you and thank you. Thank you. Loved it. 